Chapter 2 A Life Inspired 1918 to 1954 That monk, who, while young, devotes himself to the teaching of the Buddha, illumines this world like the moon freed from clouds. Dhammapada verse 382 Part 1 A Suitable Locality Isan The Buddha declared that all avoidable human suffering is caused by mental defilements and that these defilements can be completely eliminated by a systematic education of body, speech and mind. Supreme among the virtuous qualities that burn up the defilements he revealed is forbearance. It is perhaps no coincidence then that the unwelcoming environment of northeast Thailand, known to its inhabitants as Isan, nurtured a great flowering of Buddhist monasticism in the 20th century. The vast majority of monastics recognized in Thailand as enlightened masters over the past hundred years have come from this region. Isan occupies a semi-arid plateau, almost square in shape and somewhat larger than England. It is bounded to the north and east by the Mekong River and Laos, and to the south by the thickly jungled mountains of northern Cambodia. In the early part of the last century, Isan was still separated from central Thailand by the forbidding barrier of Dong Yen, a huge forest abounding in wild animals and home to a vicious strain of malaria. Even before the majority of its original forest cover was hacked and burnt away, Isan was never an idyllic land. It lacks the fecundity of the central Thai valleys. The soils are for the most part impoverished, if not by sand or stone, then by a choking salinity. The rivers flow in deep gullies, making it difficult to create channels for irrigation. Very few areas provide more than one crop of sticky rice a year. Travel has been fraught with difficulty. Whereas water was the predominant means of transport in central Siam and the basis of its economic success, the rivers of the landlocked Isan are navigable for only a few months of the year. With little scope for commerce, subsistence farming was, for centuries, the people's main occupation, and bartering was their means of exchange. Isan has three seasons. The cold season, from November through February, is the most comfortable but may be racked at night by harsh winds. The hot season, from March through June, is numbingly hot. And the mid-year rainy season generates a humidity so thick as can make those walking through it feel almost as if they are wading through the air. Life has always hinged on the coming of the monsoon, but the torrential rains that dissolve the fear of drought and crop failure often lead to severe flooding. Nevertheless, the people who have settled this land have been tenacious. They have survived and somehow flourish. So, who are the people of Isan and where originally did they come from? The majority of its population have always identified themselves, ethnically and culturally, as Lao, a name derived from one branch of the peoples who migrated south from what is now southwest China during the first millennium CE in response to the steady encroachment on their land by the Han Chinese. One migration trail passed down through the Jiaobriya river basin, 
and those who took that route played a significant role in the development of the Siamese or Central Thai civilization. Another branch followed the Mekong southwards and established settlements along its banks, which were to contribute to the origins of the ethnic Lao. They were not, however, the first or only inhabitants of Isan. In Ban Chiang, there is evidence of a sophisticated culture dating back over 3,000 years. Following waves of Austronesian and earlier diverse Mon-Khmer immigrations, the European Dark Ages saw Isan settled by both Cambodian Hindus of the Chenla Empire and the devoutly Theravadin Buddhist Mons of the Dvaravati civilization. Subsequently, Isan formed part of the vast Angkor Empire that dominated Southeast Asia from the 8th until the 13th century, and that, at its height, in the reign of Jayawarman VII, adopted Mahayana Buddhism. The Lao Thais slowly expanded through the region, absorbing the cultures and genes of their predecessors as they spread, and dying all with the distinctive features that it has retained until today. Perhaps the link between the Lao and Siamese Thai, henceforth referred to simply as Thais, may best be characterized as that between close cousins. This closeness has, however, not prevented the central Thais, inhabitants of a more benign land, from holding to the conceit of a superior sophistication. In fact, the differences between them are minor. They speak an almost common tongue, although differently, with different tones. In religion, they have both adopted the Sri Lankan form of Theravada Buddhism, incorporating along the way Brahmin ceremonials and the ancient animist traditions of their tribe. On the whole, the Thais and Lao share a gentle, easy-going nature and are a remarkably tolerant people. The idea of persecuting others for holding beliefs different from their own has always been incomprehensible to them. They are not particularly cerebral. Abstract theories and philosophies rarely excite them, but they are skillful pragmatists with a considerable talent for compromise. The bamboo bending in strong winds has always been one of their favorite images. They avoid open confrontation wherever possible and consider the unfiltered expression of strong feeling to be uncouth and immature. They admire the ability to remain calm and unruffled under stress, and they aspire to a cool heart. If the Lao differ in any discernible way, it's in their more pronounced resilience. As with all peoples, they are full of contradictions. A somewhat exaggerated concern for rank and status is, for example, often combined with a deep love of independence. Given the loyalty and devotion they have always shown to the rather austere tenets of Theravada Buddhism, it's the frank, uncomplicated sensuality of the people that is perhaps their most surprising feature. Their culture has never considered sensual desires to be a source of guilt. But although they often display a great love of language, finery and food, in fact, all the so-called good things of life, they reserve their greatest respect for those who can renounce them. By any of the contemporary secular standards by which the development of a culture is measured, GNP, 
political power, technological innovation, vibrant art. Isan is an insignificant backwater, its people unremarkable. But, from a Buddhist viewpoint, it would not be too fanciful to consider Isan a superpower. Throughout the 20th century in particular, Isan was an abiding stronghold of Buddhism at a time when all through Asia, other darker isms, imperial, communal, capital, material, were wreaking awful depredations. The vast majority of Thailand's 300,000 monastics are from Isan. Most significantly, almost every one of the Thai monks of the modern age, believed to have realized enlightenment, was born in one of the peasant farming villages of the northeast, many of them in the province of sages, Ubon Rajatani. Ubon The history of Ubon began in 1778, with the conclusion of a bruising and bloodied migration. Some years previously, the noble Vientian family of Jaoprata and Jaoprawo, together with its large retinue, had fled from the spite of the king of Vientiang, only to be attacked by his forces wherever they settled. Finally, in desperation, during a siege of their latest encampment, a small group of horsemen broke through the encircling forces late one night and rode west for assistance. The king of Siam was sympathetic towards them. His renaissance state was rapidly recovering from the devastation of its capital Ayutthaya by the Burmese, and he was keen to extend its power. The Siamese expeditionary army routed the Vientian forces with ease and went on to sack their city. Feeling safe at last, the migrants, survivors of a long flight and years of protracted strife, established a permanent settlement on the northern banks of the Moon River, some 80 kilometers west of its confluence with the great Mekong. They called their new home Ubon, after the Upala Lotus that rises unblemished from the mud. They pledged allegiance to the king of Siam, their savior and patron. But before all else, as migrating Thai peoples had done for hundreds of years, they built a monastery for the Buddhist monks that had accompanied them. By the early years of the 20th century, Ubon town had become the center of a province, which included hundreds of villages and extended over thousands of square kilometers. During the preceding century, Siam had become surrounded by voracious colonial powers, Britain to the south and west, and France ominously to the east. The old Siamese system of government, whereby outlying vassal states enjoyed virtual autonomy, was now untenable. As a consequence, Ubon was integrated into the modern nation-state being forged by King Jhulalongkorn to meet the foreign threat and came to be ruled from Bangkok. It is, however, unlikely that any more than a very few of the inhabitants of Ubon would have considered themselves part of anything as abstract as a nation. For most people, the village was their reality, and its independence and prosperity the source of their self-respect. These people's overriding concern was the daily struggle to feed their families, and their local monastery was the only institution they trusted. It was in Ban Go, one such small village, 
a few kilometers to the south of Ubon town, that Luang Po Cha was born. <laughs> 